Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from a cloudy Macomb, Illinois today. And we have a wonderful show for you folks. We have a hostful goodness show. We have the host here of the Good Growing Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be answering your home gardening questions that you have sent into our Extension office. And of course, to have a hostful, you need hosts. So I am joined, as always, by local foods educator Katie Parker in Quincy. Hello, Katie. Hey, Chris. How are things going in Quincy these days? Is it sunny, hot, rainy? What's going on? Uh, so right now it's cloudy, and we were predicted to get quite a bit of rain. Um, but it's not raining right now, um, so hopefully it'll pick up and not let us down. Yeah, I think it's a little dry here now in Macomb as well. We could use, you know, a, a nice, maybe one of those day-long gentle rains. That would be good. Right. And, of course, we have horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hello, Ken. Hello, Chris and Katie. So is Jacksonville getting all the rain these days? We've gotten, we had some rain this morning, but I am uh, in our home office and we have uh, curtains over the windows so I cannot see outside. So I'm not really sure what's going on right now. <laughs> it's just like being back at the office again. You know, <laughs> you're sitting there, you don't know what's happening outside. There is no thunder, I can tell you that. Is, uh, is your new dog, uh, is she afraid of thunderstorms? Luckily, no. There isn't too much she's afraid of. So That's good. So it is interesting, though, speaking of rain, you know, we have colleagues that are we're all around the state, and, you know, we're on email chains and things like that, uh, questions that might stump uh, a couple of us, and we send it out statewide. Folks are talking about how in parts of Illinois there are there's drought, um, but I would say, at least for us here in west-central Illinois, we're doing okay in terms of rain. It seems to be coming on time uh, throughout the su- throughout the summer here. Actually, our lawns are staying nice and green, and I am seeing a lot of the uh, lawn mushrooms, like fairy ring uh, fungus, popping up in yards now. And usually, we don't see that until later in the year once we get, you know, it cools off and a little bit more reliable rainfall. Is that what what you're all seeing too in your neck of the woods? Or we have lush gardens and farms and fields yep that's the way it is in my house we've only had to water uh, you know, a handful of times uh, this year I was talking with my wife last night I was mentioning you know, if we don't get rain today we probably need to water but i think luckily that's been taken care of and and going on walks um with the kids and the dog you know there's definitely been a lot of mushrooms in yards and stuff especially after we get a, get a nice rain yeah, I would say that's pretty similar to what we're seeing here. I wouldn't think that much of our corner soybeans has experienced any drought this growing season, uh, so that's a positive. Um, being in a, a new house or like a new to us house, uh, we did plant a lot of new flowers this year, so we've had to water uh, just for that reason because um, it seems like we planted in the hottest part of the the year. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we've had some nice timely rains. Yeah, we're in. A, we're also in a, a new to us house as well this year, and you know, I'm kind of trying to figure out the sunshade patterns because we have a lot of mature trees around us. So, we did a lot of container gardening actually on on the back uh, deck of the house, and I, I would say 
you know, we've been, I've been still having to water pretty much daily, but when it got to be, you know, up in the upper 80s and, you know, the heat index was saying it was 105 degrees this last weekend, I was I was also watering in the afternoon because the plants started getting wilted and looking a little puny. So uh, at least uh, this past weekend, I, I did two times a day for our container plants, but otherwise, usually it's, you know, a deep watering for the containers and then they can go a day or two before I really need to give them another drink. So Katie, I'm wondering now, what kind of flowers are you planting? Are they annuals or perennials or what, what do you have growing on in your uh, gardens and landscape? Uh, so I prefer just to plant perennials that way. You only have to plant them once. I have some irises, uh, some salvia, some coreopsis. Um, I think I've mentioned in some previous podcasts, uh, my mom and I like to uh, look check out the for sale rack every time we go to Lowe's because uh, they often have a, a pretty decent sale rack. I also have a lot of shade, so I planted a lot of hostas, some coral bells, and some astilbes in the shade areas. Um, we also... I don't know, I'm hesitant to plant too much because in our home inspection, they told us that we need to um, build up around the foundation of the house because everything kind of slopes towards our foundation. Uh, so I'm doing um, some things that will be easier to move, hopefully, because uh, everything around our house is rock. And so I don't look forward to that day when we decide to, to build up the dirt around our foundation. You know, the first house uh, my wife and I bought in Macomb, we closed on the house. That night, we had a six-inch rainfall. And we knew that the the land or the ground was sloping towards, towards the house in kind of the back section there. And... We're like, I, I said, hey, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll take care of that. I've, I've done that many times doing landscaping, so it's not a big deal. But I wasn't expecting. We hadn't even moved in yet, and we show up the next morning with our brand new key, and we turn the lock, go down the basement, and there's water down there. Like, oh no! And we immediately wanted to start renting again and get rid of this house. Um, but it turns out it was a fantastic house. Um, and we're sort of in the same circumstance, it sounds like, Katie. We had rock all along the back. Uh, it's this, you know, round river rock stuff. And then they had plastic underneath that. And so pretty much I spent then the next few weeks just slowly pulling all of that rock out, setting it to the side, adding soil, tamping it down with a, a tamper. And pretty much you got to do it in about two-inch lifts. Every time you do it, put in two inches, tamp it down, Another two inches, tamp it down. Um, and I've just found that happens with a lot of homes when people fail to, the builder essentially fails to um, uh, compact that soil around the foundation properly. So, and it's very common. Usually after anywhere from like a decade to 30 years later, you start seeing a lot of settling. It's usually from poor compaction at construction. Yeah, it's something that we we need to get on. Luckily, we have a sump pump. I probably I think we probably would have a wet basement if it weren't for the sump pump. And our it's it's not sloping too bad. Like you can't notice it too much, but it's just mentally getting prepared to do that. Hopefully, maybe we could do it this fall. 
I'm not a huge fan of like landscape rock either. I mean, it looks nice. It's just a pain when you you know when you want to go back in and plant something. It's a 30 year old home, so it's now a mixture of rock and dirt, and so it's not really uh, easy to figure out what's the rock and what's the dirt. So I don't know. It'll be good to just you know like start the project and get it done, but it's just mentally getting prepared first yeah it's a lot of work i don't i'm the same boat i'm not a big fan of landscape rock myself it but a lot of people seem to to enjoy that um doing landscaping we sold a lot of landscape rock you know in terms of you know we sold the loads and installed it for folks and people seem to like it uh yeah i don't know ken what do you think about landscape rock up against the house is that something that we need to be doing or is that good for the insects what do you think Um, i don't <clears throat> yeah, for insects and stuff, you know, one of the concerns people have with mulch, especially like wood mulch and stuff, is that you can have termites or other insects in there. And as long as you don't have like a eight inch, twelve inch, you know, layer of mulch, <clears throat> if you keep that your recommended two to three inch deep, that stuff's going to dry out enough. You're not going to have insects and stuff, um, termites and stuff living in there just because it dries out too much for them. I know in our yard, in our landscape. Um, we had some areas that was pea gravel that we just kind of kind of excavated all that out, and I just kind of took all that and kind of went around the, the the house in some areas, probably about a foot, 18 inches out, and just put all that rock there so I wouldn't have to worry about weeding quite as much, and I wouldn't have to find somewhere to put all that rock. That's, that's what we did with ours. Yeah, and then if you if you do get weeds, it's not, not too big of an issue to – to either, I mean, you could do a couple things with it. You could hit it with glyphosate, or you could hit it with the flame weeder, even if you had something like that. And it's you're not too worried about that. I guess there is one story though. Martha Smith, uh, one of our colleagues, she talked about doing a controlled burn on some ornamental grasses by her house, and she wound up setting her house on fire. So just do want to be careful about that. Make sure you have the hose up. Exactly. Hey Ken, I am curious. How are the peanuts doing? We need to know. Oh, they're doing good. They're getting big. Keep having flowers on them. So I haven't pulled anything up to see if I've got any peanuts in the ground. But so it'll just it'll be a surprise this fall when I dig them up and see what happens. All right. We'll check back in then later on in, uh, say, September. Is that going to be the time you're going to pull them? Yeah, probably. I haven't decided yet. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever they start going downhill, I'll pull them. And then our, <laughs> and then our cotton's been blooming. Uh, we've got, it looks like, a couple um, bowls starting to form. So it'll be interesting to see if we can get that, those bowls to form before we get a frost. That's really cool. Are you guys going to make some clothes with your cotton? <laughs> I'm not sure what the plan is. <laughs> Maybe some house decor or something like that? Maybe. The kids wanted to plant it, so I'll, I'll leave it up to them what we're going to do with it. It'll probably sit on the uh, on the table for a while and collect dust, but we'll see. Well, we have a couple community garden plots going with our master gardeners, and um, actually one of the master gardeners, she got some really neat heirloom tomatoes and planted them. And unfortunately, I don't know what heirlooms they are. None of them are red, I don't think. And But they're just like really cool looking. They actually start out purple, and then they will, it looks like they transition into a, like a mottled, uh, it's almost like a yellow, but not yellow, almost clear, uh, with some like purple streaks in them. And then there's another 
kind of sauce looking tomato that doesn't turn red but it, it's green with with brown uh, streaks through it so so we have lots of these tomatoes and I'm just trying to figure out when to harvest them so basically it's trial and error I'll pick one and I'm gonna I eat it and if it's good then I know that it's ready to ready to go so are, are either of you growing tomatoes this year yes so we've got um, Cherokee purple um, then we've got a cherry tomato I don't remember uh, I think it's like bodacious hybrid small cherry tomato and we haven't ours just kind of sat for a while and didn't really do much so we've got some fruit on there um, we don't have any color yet at least we didn't this weekend when I looked so there's they're about full size so we should start getting some tomatoes here probably another week or so we also had tomatoes so they're at my parents farm and we usually go out there on Sundays and check the garden and the rest of the week. My mom's supposed to be checking it, and um, she's kind of failed a little bit. So we had tomato hornworms eat most of our tomatoes. But we picked our first ones this past weekend, and they were really good. Um, but one I don't know if you guys have tried. I had a, a community member call last week some with some questions about tomatoes and he said that he ordered black cherry tomatoes this year and they are the best thing he's ever had I, I this heirloom variety that we're trying i haven't had black cherry but and i don't know what the heirloom is but it's it is delicious it is uh it, it's sweet like i know tomatoes can have a sweetness to it but this is i don't know it's almost like a, a fruit tangy kind of sweetness um they're very good. It almost, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of ground cherries. Um, I, don't, I don't think they, they can cross those. Um, ground cherries and tomatoes are in the same nightshade family, but they, I don't believe that they can breed those, but I'm not sure. It's also pretty cool, the purple and yellow ones, he said. You're, since you're in Macomb, I'm surprised they haven't, like the purple and gold, you know? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to save some seed. There <laughs> and, you go. <laughs> and I'll give them to the WIU farm here and see, uh, like, hey, you need to start growing these here. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I know Dr. Groover has his purple uh, popcorn. So That's right. Little... Now, they did, like, specific breeding for that popcorn, right, to make sure they wanted a good ratio of, like, the, the yellow and purple uh, colors on the, the ears. Is that right? Their breeding program? I think so, but I don't know that Dr. Groover did the breeding. Okay. I'm not positive. So one other thing I wanted to, to bring up also is uh, our, our colleague, our host here, Ken, he was on a, a wonderful show uh, called Facebook Live. So, Ken, tell me, are, why are you seeing another group of horticulturists? <laughs> because they asked. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I was jealous. I'm just asking, you know, but I'll put a good word in for you. Okay, good. Next time we're going to get good growing shirts and we'll just have you wear one of those. Sounds good. Yeah. If folks do want to check out that, uh, it was a really good episode though. Um, so horticulturist live, uh, also colleagues of ours from around the state. Uh, and they had Ken on to help answer some of the, the, the insect questions that came in and some other questions as well. We can leave a link to that. I watch it usually on, on YouTube. They do it live on YouTube and then the recordings posted there, but you can also look, watch it on Facebook live as well. So we'll leave links to both of those places in the description below. 
Well, folks, speaking of questions, we do have uh, several that have uh, come into our offices here. Uh, so Ken and Katie, they're going to take point on today's show and answering these questions uh, from you, our, our listeners. So first off, we have a question. This is, uh, this is from Brent. He's in Adams County, and he plans to start growing blueberries in his backyard. So he wants to know what is the proper soil pH for blueberries and how does he get to that soil pH once he knows where he's starting. So Katie, what do you think? Yeah, so typically with growing blueberries, we need a more acidic soil. And so they suggest anywhere around like a four and a half to 4.5 for growing blueberries. A lot of times for other crops in our area, we aim for anywhere from like a 6 to a 7 for our pH or our soil pH. Um, so we kind of have to drastically lower the pH to get down to where blueberries need it to be. Um, so one thing that you can do to lower your pH is to apply gypsum or a sulfur-based product. Um, and with Brent, he was going to apply elemental sulfur, and that will help to lower his soil pH. Um, but he did get started was he got a soil sample. Uh, we figured out that his soil pH was a six and a, or sorry, 6.6. .6, and so he's going to aim for four and a half. Um, the elemental sulfur does take some time to get the soil pH lowered. And that'll be something we'll have to keep up on as well we'll have to I say constantly we'll have to consistently test and make sure that pH doesn't creep up too high and a lot of times with, with blueberries stuff if your pH does get too high you'll start getting a lot of times iron chlorosis so the leaves will start yellowing um, but those veins will a lot of times stay green and that can be one of those indications that your pH is getting or is a little too high uh, for blueberries and some of those other uh, more acid or acidic loving plants I'll say it we were in we, we've been going to Michigan like these last two summers and the blueberry uh, fields up there and the farmers and growers, those are just so much fun. And they have the, the U-Picks, which uh, for a tourist, that's great. Um, we actually got a big old five pound box of blueberries and then we all got sick because we ate like all the blueberries and, and you're eating blueberries as you're picking them too. Um, but I, up in Michigan, you know, depending where you're at, they have a, a fairly sandy soil profile. So one of the other things that I'd probably also recommend, um, and this is uh, from when I was down at, in Carbondale, um, blueberries are in the same family as azalea rhododendron. And these tend to be shallow-rooted plants. So if you have a heavy, heavy clay soil, you want to make sure. Um, sometimes it's better to plant it in a, a very well-drained, kind of a well, kind of almost like a raised bed type situation. Um, just what we found and, and making sure that you're doing a, uh, some, some mulch and kind of for that acidic uh, flavor, you could mulch with something like peat moss or, but you could do bark chips, anything like that as well. Um, but just, you know, good drainage, protect that root system. And yep, as Ken and Katie said, uh, making sure you start from a baseline pH that you know, and then you can, uh, you know how to modify it and then check on it every so often because it's going to want to go back up to that native pH range. Yep, and I've got some blueberries, and we have ours in pots. We've got some of the 
some like you know, the dwarf ones that were bred for container growing. So if you want blueberries, that's another way you could do it. Just you get a fairly decent sized pot. We've got them in like the the whiskey barrel type planters. Um, we just put them in there, and that's a little bit easier to kind of maintain that that pH because you're you're putting potting soil in, and I just mix a little extra um, peat moss into that, get that pH a little bit lower. What do you do in the winter, Ken? For those. Um, so last year I just drug them into our garage. We've got an insulated garage so it doesn't get too terribly cold. Because um, <clears throat> the big thing with, with pots, um, a lot of times those roots, the, the plants may be hardy down to our kind of our cold temperatures, um, but those roots are elevated and they're exposed so that soil gets a lot colder uh, when it's in a pot than it normally would in the ground. So you could either kind of sink those pots into the ground, dig a hole and put them in there, or put them in a kind of a protected area. They still need that cold. Still need to go through that dormancy, um, so I just drag ours into the garage and and kind of check the soil moisture, give them um, a little water every now and then, so that soil doesn't dry out too much. Yeah, and always know you can grow anything here in Illinois. Uh, I a former colleague, although we never really worked with them, uh, he was back when they called him agents. He was an extension agent in my area. He's still here, uh, Dick Weller, and he's in his his eighties right now, and he. We met at a, an event here in Macomb, and he said something, you know, back in the day when he was the extension ag agent, um, he dealt with crops of all types, including blueberries and apples and corn and beans and uh, wheat and just everything. He says, he said, you can grow anything here in Illinois. It all just depends what the market's doing right now. And he said, it's, it's, it'll change, though. So just know that we, we're lucky here in this part of the world that we're at. We can grow anything here. As long as it's cold, Hardy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, bananas, maybe not. <laughs> but maybe then you in, could just bring it in. Yes, yes. Bring it inside, then you'd be good. I, I, well, in Carbondale, they grew bananas along the perimeter of the greenhouse, and they didn't bring them in. But it stayed just warm enough to keep the roots alive. But you would never get bananas from them. Yeah, I've got all kinds of citrus and stuff that we we have to bring in, and other tropical plants, dragon fruit and and stuff. So yeah, when during the winter, our house gets rather full of the plants that I shouldn't be growing. That sounds delightful, though. I think Ken should invite Katie and I down to uh, see his place there. That would be nice. I I I really just want to meet the dog, but you know. <laughs> I think it sounds like a good trip. Yeah. Come on over anytime. <laughs> I'll bring my kids and leave them with yours. <laughs> I'll be around. <laughs> All right, our next question. Now, this one comes from our, our Horticulture Facebook page. If folks want to know, uh, we do have a – it's a private group, so you have to do uh, – you just have to do a search. It's called Illinois uh, – oh, sorry. It's called Extension Illinois Horticulture. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I have that backwards. No. Illinois Extension. Illinois Extension Horticulture. Group. That's it. Yeah. Illinois All right. Extension Horticulture. All right. So there. Ken's got it. It's Illinois Extension Horticulture. It's our Facebook page. It's a private page. You just have to agree to the rules. And so you're welcome. Anyone's welcome to join and ask questions on there. So one of the questions from that page, uh, we'll send this to Ken here. He's, uh, the question is, my cucumbers and zucchini have a lot of flowers but they're not producing any fruit. Do we have suggestions as to why? Uh, is there anything they can add to the soil for next year? What do we think, Ken? So if, they, if they're getting good you know, flower production, you know, the leaves look healthy and stuff, I wouldn't think there's much they need to do to the soil. 
Um, but there's a couple of different reasons why you may have flowers, but you're not getting any fruit. Um, one thing is cucurbits have those separate male and female flowers. So a lot of times early in the year, um, I'll put out primarily male flowers. It takes maybe a week or two for them to start putting out those female flowers. Um, so depending on when they planted them, um, that could be the case. If it's male or female flower is if you look at that flower, the female flowers are going to have a swelling at the base of that flower. Basically, it looks like a miniature version um, of that fruit that you're growing. So if you're growing cucumbers, it kind of looks like a little miniature cucumber. Um, watermelons look like a miniature watermelon and so on. The male flowers is just going to be that straight stalk. There's not going to be any swelling on there. Um, so if they have a lot of male flowers, you may just need to wait a little bit longer until those plants start putting out female flowers. Um, if there are flowers present and they do have those female flowers present um, and you're not getting any fruit, um, you could have some issues with pollination. Um, so, you, you know, pollinators may not be present that are not adequately pollinating those plants. A couple different ways that could happen. Um, so taking kind of steps to promote um, pollinators populations. So making sure you have those floral resources, those flowers blooming um, kind of year round to kind of draw those into your landscape. Um, being careful when you're applying pesticides, making sure you're not applying to those plants in bloom. And if you do, making sure those pollinators aren't present. Um, if you kill your pollinators, you're not going to get any of that fruit production. Um, and some of this hot weather we've been having could play a factor into that as well. Um, a lot of our <clears throat> plants, especially cucurbits, once we start getting temperatures into the 90s, um, they, they kind of just stop, start dropping their flowers. They don't like that hot temperatures. So they, they get rid of those flowers um, before those fruit form. So and we've had some hot weather lately, so we may have a bit of a lull for a while. And then, you know, if it cools off for a little bit, those, that flower production will pick up and you'll start getting uh, more fruit on there. Um, also, pollen doesn't like um, hot weather either. It doesn't last as long. It doesn't stay viable as long. kind of goes bad, so to speak, um, again, in hot weather. So, you know, if those flowers don't get pollinated early enough in the morning, that pollen goes bad. There may be pollen, pollen being moved around, but it's not viable anymore. So those female flowers aren't getting fertilized. So you could go out, um, take some of those male flowers early in the morning, take some of those male flowers um, and hand pollinate um, those female flowers if you wanted to, um, depending on how many plants you have and, and how much work you want to do. That, that could be an option for that as well. Um, and making sure when we have this hot weather um, that those plants have enough water. Um, so, so again, depending on where they're at, if they haven't had a lot of water, that may be providing that supplemental irrigation. Um, and mulching um, can also help, you know, keep retain some of that soil moisture, keep the, the soils a little bit cooler um, as well. It is kind of a kind of a fine line there because some of that mulch can also provide some good habitat for squash bugs and stuff. So you kind of have to kind of weigh the risk benefit um, with mulch sometimes in cucurbits, especially if, if you have a lot of um, squash bugs, that may be something you want to think twice about um, putting too much mulch down with those. Yeah, those pesticides, it's definitely something you want to make sure you follow those label directions because um, it, these are crops that tend to have uh, squash bugs, squash vine borer issues. And uh, I do know in a, a couple of cases, actually a few weeks ago, uh, someone calling about their their zucchini would start, you'd start to get this, this like little tiny fruit and then it would just die. And I was like, well, it not, might not be good pollination and asking if they sprayed any pesticides. Like, oh yeah, I've been spraying it every few days with a liquid seven. 
It's like, and I, you know, asked the whole plant, they're like, oh yeah, everything. I was like, oh, well, well, maybe, maybe you're spraying the flowers and you need pollinators for that pollen. So, you know, making sure that you're being very careful. We do, we do have to kind of keep those common pests back, but um, making sure that you're um, also spraying in a, a timely manner so as not to impact those pollinators so that we can actually get the fruits of our labor. Yeah, and with stuff like squash bugs, if you go out, you know, early in the morning, a lot of times you can find them congregated, and especially go out scouting, you know, find those egg clusters, <clears throat> either smash those eggs, pull those eggs off, you know, those, when they first hatch, those first instar nymphs, they kind of cluster, you can smash all those relatively easy, so I have been going out in mine um, at least a couple of times a week and going out and, and looking for those squash bugs and kind of eliminating them by hand, hopefully trying to kind of stay ahead of an stab them in on top of them before they get into populations get big enough and they get large enough where they really start causing problems kind of try to head some of that off so i don't have to spray that stuff all right we our next question this comes from uh rick in adams county uh so rick has one of you know there are a few plants in this world that i don't like and this one yellow nut sedge is one that i i do not like um, but anyway, so Rick has some yellow nut sedge in his yard, and he cannot get it to die, of course. So, yeah. Oh, man, my goodness, that plant. Anyway, he wants to know what can he do to kill it. So, Katie, help Rick and also me out with this. Yeah, so it's definitely one of those plants that's very difficult to kill. Um in our yards, it's very easy to see it as it typically does grow faster than our grass. Uh, and then it's a lighter, brighter green, more like a yellowish color. Uh, so it's often very noticeable uh, growing above our grass. Um, and so what you can do is it's typically pretty easy to pull, but you have to understand the growth of yellow nutsedge. So it does produce tubers below ground, and it does spread by a, a rhizome. So when you're pulling the plants, uh, you're not getting those tubers that are forming below ground. Uh, so you'll, you can pull all the plants that you want, but uh, you're likely going to have the same issue as uh, next year that you did this year. Uh, um, another option is you can treat it with herbicides. Uh, so it's not not a guarantee that it's going to control the yellow nut sedge. Um, on web, one website that I found, they said that uh, they like to make applications, two to three applications, four to seven days apart, uh, which seems a little excessive. Um, and I don't know if that's what it takes to kill it, like truly get it gone. Um, but I guess if it's something that you really do despise in your yard and want to get rid of, that is an option. Typically with herbicides, um, it's not your typical herbicides. It'll have on the bottle uh, kills nutsedge or with like with nutsedge control. Uh, so that's something that you definitely want to look at for controlling it. Another option is typically yellow nutsedge grows in areas that are more compact with poor drainage uh, and retain moisture. Um, so something that you can do is you can create a healthier environment. So somewhere where you could uh, aerate your yard in the fall 
uh, and overseed to, to reduce some of that compaction and then also create um, more grass that's going to fight out the yellow nut sedge from keeping it or create competition for it uh, to keep it from coming back. Uh, so that's an option as well. Uh, you may also think about like cutting your lawn higher to help create that healthier environment for your, your lawn. Um, but those are just some of your options for controlling it. Yeah, and that's, that's really the key, Katie, is just uh, you could spray an herbicide. Definitely is something you can do. The later in the season, it, oftentimes it seems like these plants get pretty tough. And it's like you're almost spraying them with water at some point. So as you recommended, creating an environment that favors turf grass over the sedge, and that's the thing to do. Um, and I tend to see a lot of yellow nut sedge pop up in, in lawns, especially if we had maybe a more of an excessively wet spring uh, where water sat and pooled in an area, creates compaction, limits turf grass competition. But, but yep, uh, that hollow core aeration, that's something not many of us do for our lawns. It's something I think uh, would benefit a lot of our lawns, even with weed control. Our next question comes from Morgan County in Ken's neck of the woods. So uh, this question is, uh, the person wants to know, why aren't my tomatoes turning red? Well, Ken, I, we kind of have similar circumstance here. I have tomatoes that aren't turning red, but I think that's because the particular variety that they are. So, but why are these tomatoes not turning red? So it's like you mentioned, yeah, one thing is knowing what your tomatoes are supposed to look like. So, you know, maybe, you know, if they're not sure what they planted, maybe they've just planted a variety that stays green or, or it's kind of a, a light yellow um, instead of red. So knowing what you planted is a big thing. Um, one of the main reasons for tomatoes not ripening or developing that red color um, is temperature again, kind of like our or a cucurbit question earlier. Um, so when temperatures get up into the kind of mid-80s into the 90s, um, the ripening process for tomatoes will slow down or can even stop when it gets real hot. Um, so the, the, the pigments um, that are responsible for that red color, um, the lycopene and the carotene, once it gets real hot, um, those the production of those stop and the, those fruit just kind of sit there and they don't color. Um, so once temperatures start cooling off again, um, the, the production of those pigments will start up again and they'll start to ripen. So unfortunately, when we're having real hot temperatures like we had um, this weekend last week, there's really not much you can do about that. It's just, you're going to have to kind of wait for it to cool off. You could pick those tomatoes. Uh, again, once they once they start showing um, a little bit of color change, to typically go from that green to a, to a lighter green, kind of a yellowish color, that's an indication that that tomato's kind of reached its full size and it's starting that ripening process now. You can pick those tomatoes, bring those inside, um, and kind of and let them ripen indoors. Um, a lot of times you would put them in like a paper bag or something. Um, they'll release ethylene gas, and that will help with that, um, that ripening process as well. Um, so put them in that. You just, just leave them on the counter. You don't want to put them in a refrigerator or anything. So room temperature um, and ripen them indoors if you want to get that process speeded up and you don't want to wait um, for those temperatures to cool down again. I think that's probably the main reason people have issues with, with stuff not with their tomatoes not turning colors. It's just temperature related. You just reminded me, Ken. Yesterday we were picking tomatoes at the community garden, and all I had was a brown paper bag. 
and they are still sitting there on my kitchen counter. I probably see. I don't want these to ripen up too quickly, so I need to make sure I get them out of there right now. So, <laughs> oh boy. Well, our next question. Um, this one is for Katie, and Katie, uh, Debbie is asking. Uh, a neighbor's doing construction. They moved a pile of dirt to the edge of her property. Okay, so I kind of have that picture in my head now. Put this pile of dirt at the edge of the property. We got all this rain a few weeks ago. A lot of that soil has washed into her flower beds and has now dried. And it's left a thick, dry layer of clay. Should she try to remove this layer of clay, or will it be okay? Yeah, so I suggested that she go ahead and remove it. Um, Sometimes when we have layer of clay over... Well, so she had rock in her landscaping in this case. So aesthetically, it wouldn't look nice. Um, But again, so a dry layer of clay that can cause some issues. Um, A lot of times when you have like a a clay pan in your soil, it restricts your root movement and it can restrict water movement, uh, which I think would be the greatest issue for Debbie uh, with this clay layer. Um, it can also restrict like air movement uh, through the soil for her roots, uh, which can cause an issue for the plants as well. Um, so I suggested if she was willing to do it, to go ahead and remove it. Um, it could be something where she just gets a hose out and tries to uh, to kind of pressure wash it off the rocks uh, but getting it out of the the perennial bed that she had uh, just to get that out of the area. Yeah, speaking of rocks, that does not sound like a fun job. No, I don't think it would be. And especially if the, the mound of soil is still there, it's probably just going to be a continuing issue. Yeah. Uh, she might want to talk to the neighbor and just say something like, like a silt fence or a something. Sil- yeah, that's what I suggested is because mm-hmm. they may not have a clue what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so just making them aware of that and then that way they can kind of fix it together. That's right. It, it could be a very tall pile of soil and the neighbor just can't see over it and they don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, perfect. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Katie. We have a, another question here from Morgan County. Um, again, this is Ken's neck of the woods. Uh, this here, he has uh, four very, I mean, he says very healthy. So these are very healthy hydrangeas, but there are no blooms. How do I get them to bloom? So, Ken, it's the hydrangea question. What should we do? I I don't know. There's so many of them. Yeah, so that's one of the one of the things you need to kind of figure out is what type of hydrangea uh, do you have. So there's kind of four main types of hydrangeas, or five if you want to get into the climbing hydrangea, um, that we typically grow. Um, so we've got <clears throat> our big leaf, our mop head, or lace hydrangea, that's one type. And we have our oak leaf hydrangeas, there's the climbing hydrangeas. Uh, those three types are going to bloom um, on old wood, so they set their blooms um, kind of in the fall, late summer, fall. Um, so one of the issues with those, especially I think you see most commonly with like the big leaf, because um, some of those can be kind of borderline hardy uh, for central Illinois. As if we get a cold winter, um, those flower buds get killed, um, and then you don't get any flower production um, on those plants. 
<clears throat> um, another thing would be if they're pruning those plants, making sure that you have that proper pruning time. So again, um, this is one that you would want to prune after, right after they're done blooming. Um, if you kind of delay that and you prune in the fall or in the spring, you're cutting off all those uh, flower buds that those plants have put out. Um, our other two types um, of hydrangea, um, the panicle or PG hydrangea um, and smooth hydrangeas, those are going to bloom on the current season's wood, so they set their blooms uh, in the spring. Um, so those typically have, a lot of times we have fewer issues um, with those not blooming because if we have a real harsh winter, you know, we get some dieback, those buds have not formed yet, so we'll put those on in the spring. Um, and with those, when you're pruning those, you can prune those um, late winter, early spring. Um, kind of once they start leafing out, you, you probably want to be done with your pruning because that's when they're going to start putting on uh, their flower buds. So knowing what type of, of hydrangea you have can go a long way in kind of figuring out what potentially may be causing that. You know, I'd, they could be get, hydrangeas could be getting too much sun. They do like some shade, particularly afternoon shades. So it just may be too sunny or too hot where they're located. So providing them some shade uh, may be helpful. Too much water, not enough water. You know, plants could still look healthy, but if, if they're a little bit drought stressed, they're gonna, they may um, kind of get rid of those flowers, um, kind of conserve those leaves. Um, flowers may be the first thing to go. Um, same thing if you have too much water. You get some decline on those plants. Um, if they're fertilizing, putting too much nitrogen fertilizer, um, that can push a lot of leaf development, but that may come at the cost of flowers. Um, so it's just some different things to look at for their management to see if maybe that's the reason um, those flowers aren't blooming. Yeah, we planted a, a little lime hydrangea. I really like that one. We got blooms on it already. We planted it in the spring. But we, we also had a, another one planted at our old house, and it was only like two years old uh, when we moved but it never flowered but that was kind of fine with me because it was still a really nice looking shrub so i was still pleased with it because it looked good looked healthy even if it didn't have flowers on it yeah i'm not sure we've got some hydrangeas and i've lost the tag i don't remember what kind they are but yeah they're well the stuff we've got now are, is kind of full bloom out in the front of our house so yeah. depending on type you have yeah one of these days i'm gonna have a binder that has like all my plant tags or maybe even better yet some kind of a drawing or plan of my yard i mean i've said that for six years now uh, that we've been homeowners and it still hasn't happened but i know one day i'm gonna make one of those things <laughs> yeah do as i say not as i do exactly i'm gonna keep telling people <laughs> to do it too sounds like a good retirement project that's right <laughs> i can do that in 48 more years. <laughs> All right. Hey, we do have one other question here. So, okay, this is kind of a bonus. A few weeks ago, we had Peggy Doty on the podcast, and she was talking to us about groundhogs, a.k.a. woodchucks. Now, you've heard it all, folks. You know the riddle, how it goes. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Well, it actually turns out there is an answer to this, and Ken looked it up. Ken, can you please explain how much wood a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? So I, I found an article back from back in 19, it was 1988. Um, there was a um, fish and wildlife technician um, in New York for the Department of Environmental Conservation named Richard Thomas. Um, I guess he was kind of tired of hearing that question, so he sat down and figured out how much conceivable, how much wood a woodchuck could conceivably chuck. So we sat down and figured um, kind of the size of a woodchuck burrow. Um, so those are typically 
Um, according to this article I found, homes consist of a main tunnel 25 to 30 feet long and 6 inches wide with three rooms. Uh, one is a spy tunnel, one's for sleeping, and one is used for the toilet. Um, so we figured there's that those burrows are typically 35 square feet um, and multiply that by 20 pounds, which is the approximate weight for a square foot of soil. Um, so according to him, it's about 700 pounds of wood that they can chuck. So you can impress all of your friends with that information now. And we can post a link to that article in the show notes. <laughs> I guess, yes. Um, if, a fr- if my friends were, were saying that and I just replied with 700 pounds, um, they'd be like, well, you're no fun. My goodness. It's, it's just a joke. It's just, just a fun little little riddle here. But yes, we have the answer, folks. That's why you have extension for the science. Exactly. And random trivia knowledge. That's right. Well, and if people want to know more random trivia knowledge, we all have to uh, do webinars coming up here, right? We have another Good Growing webinar series. Uh, it's coming up at the end of this summer. We're going to start kicking it off uh, August 5th. That's me. Um, I'm going to be talking about landscape uh, fact or fiction. And basically, we're going to go through all the myths and kind of the good or bad advice that we get when it comes to landscaping and we're going to get down to the science of it all folks and we're going to we're going to cover things from soil to turf grass to trees and fertilizers oh and oh my we might even talk about a pesticide or two so so after after mine i know we all we're, we're teaching here after mine landscaping factor fiction we have andrew holsinger a colleague and and also uh you know common guest here with the good growing podcast he is going to follow me next week or not not next week but the week following on august 12th with basics of tree fruit diseases and it's probably also worth mentioning these all begin at uh, three o'clock p.m central standard time um so i'm august 5th landscaping factor fiction followed by andrew august 12th basics of tree fruit disease and then we got ken after that yes so mine i'm going to talk be talking about spiders so I couldn't think of like my creative title is spiders are your friends because they are. I'm not a good title maker. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to talk about um, I think spiders are one of those probably one of the more commonly misunderstood um, critters that are out there. So we're going to talk about some of the some of the different uh, spiders that we can find in Illinois, why they are beneficial, why we want to have these around. And even if you find them in your house, they're, they're, they're still good to have around. Um, so yeah, talk about why, why they're good and, and some of the ones we commonly see here in Illinois. And then following Ken's uh, on August 19th, we have Katie's uh, on August 26th. Katie, what are you talking about? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about getting started with composting. Um, so what can we do with our food scraps and yard waste rather than sending it to the landfill or putting it down the garbage disposal? And so we'll talk about uh, how to get started with composting and uh, what the best methods are for that. And folks, we will leave a link to these in the description below. Please feel free to reach out to to any of us, um, also our emails will be there if you have questions. And if you cannot attend these live webinars, we will be posting them on the U of I Extension Horticulture YouTube channel. Well, that was a lot of wonderful information. I really want to thank Katie, Ken. Thanks so much for being with us today, answering these wonderful questions submitted by our listeners. 
Thank, Thank you, Chris. You. Anytime. Well, anytime will be next week, so I'll see you next week. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, folks, as always, you're doing an awesome job listening to the Good Growing Podcast. We do appreciate your time. If you do have questions, of course, as always, please get in touch with us. We're happy to read those questions online. Uh, or if you don't want us to read them online, we'll answer them anyway, just you and me. That'll be great. So, as always, folks, keep on growing. Thanks for listening.